Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. Man, good morning. How are you? It's good to see you. Now, we got a bunch of people online this morning because you know people are sick and you know this weather is in Alabama. You know, the Canadian side of Scott goes, no big deal. But now the soft part of the, Can- the, the southern part of Scott goes, yeah, I get it. So if you're at home this morning, we're so glad you're worshiping with us together. I'm just glad we're able to do this every single week. Now, I was reading uh, an article or a story this week. It was about a mom and her teenage daughter. And they were looking out their apartment one morning over the pond that was kind of in front of the apartment, and and it was frozen. And and a couple kids were walking on the pond, and all of a sudden, a kid drops a falls in the water. And they didn't know what to do, but they just took off running, and they went down the steps, they ran out, they got in the freezing cold water, grabbed the child, brought the child out, and... The child was not doing well, so they called 911, and the ambulance came and took the child away. It was just a quick story, but I thought about this story, and I'm like, that's incredible. What would I do in that moment myself? Would I step up to the occasion and just run down and go get this child that fell in the water, or would I do something else? How would I respond? And I began to think about just all the other stories that you see. You don't have to watch the news very long. You don't have to watch or look on social media very much to see these stories where people jump into each other's lives when they need it the most. And again, I ask myself and I ask you, like, what would you do in these scenarios? See, this morning, I've got a question for you. Is there any chance that in your life you have had an opportunity to step into someone's life to potentially change their life, but for whatever reason, you just didn't do what you knew you are supposed to do? Is there any chance through your life you saw an opportunity, but that opportunity went by? I want to talk about that this morning as we continue our conversation in Reverse the River. See, if you missed last week, we're we're in the second week of Reverse the River, and this story comes from the city of Chicago in the 1800s. Once again, you remember this if you are with us last week. In the 1800s, Chicago had a major problem on their hands. They had a drinking water problem. They had a drinking water problem because in their city, the river that went through, all the, the pollution, the raw sewage and the, and the chemicals from the industrial factories, they're pouring into the river, they're being pulled out into Lake Michigan. Now, this may not be big of a deal, it seems, but Lake Michigan is where Chicago got all their water. So they got a problem on their hands. People were sick and dying by just huge numbers. And so the city leaders got together. We've got to do something about this. We can't just sit and watch people get sick, get, watch people die. And so they tried a bunch of stuff. They tried plan after plan after plan and never got anywhere until one day. An engineer in the city says, I've got a plan. We're going to reverse the river. We're going to change its direction from coming into Chicago, or where our water source is. We're going to push it away. Now, at that time, it was looked at as being ridiculous. You couldn't do that in the 1800s, but he said, I've got a plan. It's going to take a lot of time. 
It's going to take a lot of money, and it's going to take effort from thousands of people, but it's so worth it. It's worth it if we can save the lives of people in our city. It's worth it if we can save our city. And so for eight years, they worked on this plan. And then one day, it was done. And in one day, when it was done, people's lives were saved and the future of the city was changed forever because they were not willing to settle for the unhealthiness they were living in. And we're using this story. We're titling this series, Reverse the River, because their story needs to be our story. Their story needs to be our story that we cannot sit and settle with unhealthy areas in our lives. We can't just say, it is what it is. This is the way life is going to be. We need to move from unhealthy to healthy. We need to move from what's not working to something that's working. We need to move from the way God designed life to be. I'm, I'm sorry, living our life the way we want it to be to the way God designed it to be. We need to change direction in some areas in our life. We need to reverse the river whatever it takes. So, so we had week one last week, and if you miss it, always can go online, watch what we talked about, listen to what we talked about, what we're going to move on to week two today, and see what God maybe has to speak to you and I. And I asked a question earlier. Has there ever been a time in your life where you had an opportunity to potentially change someone's life? To step into their life and potentially change everything, but for whatever reason, we didn't do what we're supposed to do. Let me ask it in a different way. Is there a chance in life right now that you are missing the opportunities to do something for someone that really needs you to step into their lives? Have we been watching these moments, these opportunities pass us by? I said last week, and I'll continue to say this, we all know that this last year, two years, has not been easy, right? It has not been easy to walk through this COVID season. When it feels like life and what you're going through is unprecedented, when it feels like you're going through something you've never experienced before, something can happen in your life. Something can happen in my, the effects of this as we begin to feel a higher level of anxiousness. We can begin to feel like everything is overwhelming. We can begin to feel like we are drowning in life's mess. And without realizing it, Without realizing it, we can default into what can be described as survival mode. We can fall into a mentality that says, I need to make sure that I am good. When you don't know what's happening tomorrow, when you don't know what's happening next week, when you don't know what's happening next month, we can start filtering life through the lens that says the most important thing in my life right now is I just need to survive. Now my question for you 
Have you said, thought, or felt that emotion in the last 12 months? I just need to survive. Is there any way that you are feeling that emotion as you sit in this room or you watch online this morning? Do you, you feel the weight of that emotion? I just need to survive. When someone asks you, how are you doing? It doesn't matter what you say out loud. Deep inside, what you want to say is, I'm just trying to survive. I'm trying to survive at work. I'm trying to survive as a parent. I'm trying to survive at school. I'm trying to survive financially. I'm trying to survive physically. I'm trying to survive emotionally. I'm just trying to survive. Fill in the blank. What are you trying to survive in? And when we are in survival mode, doesn't life become about me? Look, when we're in survival mode, doesn't life become about me? And when life becomes about me, how we view life changes then, doesn't it? See, how we view other people changes, how much patience we have changes. What we are willing to do changes when we are in survival mode. See, when we become about just me, we start to have tunnel vision. We start to have tunnel vision. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. If what's going around me doesn't affect me, I don't have the time, I don't have the energy, I don't have the resources to put into this because I feel like I barely have enough of myself. Now the major problem with this is when we live in this too long, something very detrimental happens in our lives. When it's not just a short season, but we begin to live in this for extended periods of time, it goes from just something that we do to something that we are. It becomes our default way of living. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens gradually. And so my question, is there any chance this is you? Is there any chance this is what you may have fallen into? If it is you who I want to talk to this morning, I want to talk to you, I want to say to you, I want to pull you this morning and say this kind of mindset is going to destroy you. It may already be destroying you because God has created you to not live in a survival mindset. This is destroying something inside of you that God's created you to live differently. And Jesus talks about this. Jesus gives this warning and also wants to pull people into a new way of life when we look at Luke chapter 10. That's where we're going to go today for our main text, Luke chapter 10. And what you'll see in Luke chapter 10 is one of the most famous stories in all the Gospels. You will know the story when I read it. But Jesus is trying to reverse the river in their culture with a mindset and a lifestyle that was destroying them. Can I read it? Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Go with me here. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? 
He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. What he's doing here, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 5, okay? And then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Leviticus 19. Now Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Okay, the conversation could have been over right here. Jesus answers his question if he was really having a question. But he doesn't. It stops. Luke tells us that he continues the story. He says, but he wanted to justify himself. So we asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho uh, when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Now the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? Well, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And so Jesus says, go and do likewise. So you know this story, right? Like this is a super famous story. I I don't even know if I have to read all of it for you to follow along. But I want us to jump into this story. I want us to jump into this scene. What is it trying to tell us? See, we don't totally know where this scene happens. It doesn't tell us exactly where this story happens, but this scene is not an uncommon scene. Jesus would be sitting around talking to people, teaching people, having conversation with people, just being relational with people, when someone would stand up and test him. This was not uncommon. You see this through the Gospels. And what we need to understand is from the, from the very beginning of this, this is not a genuine conversation in my opinion. This is not a genuine question that is happening. What does it say he's doing? He's testing him. Now, in order to understand if this is a real or not real conversation, is you have to understand the book of Luke. At least five other times, Luke talks about the teachers of the law, and every time it's in a negative connotation, okay? He's looking at the teachers of the law, and normally what's happening is the teachers of the law are trying to trap Jesus to prove something, or they're trying in arrogance to defy who he is. So that's the scene we are sitting in here. And so he has a question that's asked of him. How do I inherit eternal life? Now, this is not an uncommon question. I mean, you've got someone in front of you, a rabbi, a teacher, someone that everybody's making a big deal of at this point, and they want to know, Jesus, are you a heretic? Jesus, what angle are you coming from? Jesus, it kind of exposes who he is, and so what does Jesus do here? He points it back to him. He doesn't just answer the question outright. He points it back to him. What does the law say? And the teacher gives a really good answer. He points to, like, scriptures that he has memorized. 
Like he's a teacher of the Jewish law. And so it exposes that he knows what the scriptures are. And this is going to be important. He knows what the truth is supposed to be. He knows what God has said. And so Jesus affirms him. That's right. You know it. Now go live that way. You know what you're supposed to do. Love the Lord your God and love the na- your neighbors yourself. Now go do that. But as I was reading it, I said the conversation could end there, but the guy wasn't done yet. It could have ended there, but the guy wasn't done yet. He's still testing Jesus, maybe to make a point. I don't know, but he's not done there yet. And he says, okay, well then who is my neighbor? Now what's he really asking? Once again, this is a genuine question of who is my neighbor. What's he really asking? If you had to answer that question, what would you say? What he's really asking is, who do I have to love and who do I not have to love? That's the angle the dude's coming from, all right? This guy is trying to figure out who I have to and who I don't have to love. And this may seem like an off question. Because like we're on the other side of Jesus' teaching and we're like, we kind of have the answer to this. But at the time, this is a legit question. I mean, he's a teacher of the law. The law dictates how he lives and, and the law is filled with what to do and what not to do. The law is filled with who's in and who's out. The law is filled with what's my responsibility and what's not my responsibility. That's what he would have known. So it's not an off question because there are hundreds of written laws. And then there are hundreds more of like oral laws, talked about laws, passed down laws from generation to generation. So Jesus, knowing that context, he answers the question. And he takes this time to speak into a mindset that is, in his opinion, off. He speaks into this moment, and if we can use the words of our series, he needs to reverse the river in their thinking. And so he tells a story. And isn't most of Jesus' teaching story for him? That's what I love about it. He says, a man gets attacked, and he's almost beaten to death. And then he just says, and two religious people walk by. The priest, the Levite, they just just walk by. You would expect them to stop, but they don't. They just walk by. Now, we don't know why they didn't stop. We can infer a lot of things, but Jesus really doesn't get into the exact reason why. Is it because they have a better than mindset? Like, I'm not going to stop for this person because I'm a religious person. I'm, I'm somewhat important. Is it because if they stopped and touched this man, they would be unclean, and now they couldn't do the rituals of uh, of what they would do as as a priest? And I'm not stopping to make myself unclean. Did they just have a mindset of, I've got better things to do. I'm on mission for something else. Are they overwhelmed? Did they just get doing, done doing a lot of things in Jerusalem, and now they're going to Jericho, and they, they just don't have time for it? Are they in survival mode because they have expectations on their life that we don't know their backstory? And they're like, you're this, I don't don't have time for this, I'm going to go on the other side and just someone else can deal with this. We don't know why he didn't stop, we can just infer reasons. We just know Jesus says they didn't 
stop. Now something shocking happens in the story. It's not going to be nearly as shocking for you as it was for them. That's why we have to jump into the story and be in the story. He next, he says the sentence, then a Samaritan man stops. Now this is not how the story would go. Rabbis would tell stories all the time. But at this moment, the hero of the story would be one of them. Okay? It would be an Israelite that is now the hero of the story. But Jesus, maybe trying to get their attention, trying to make a different point, says one of their enemies, one of the people they wouldn't associate with, a Samaritan man. He stops and he has pity on the man. Now, this is where we got to pause. I think there's a really cool thing happened as I was preparing for this week. This word pity, it, it's kind of cool. Okay, so for the word pity, not in English, but how it's been written is this. We show the word on the screen, and I'm not going to butcher this word. C- can you give me the word, please? And so, so this is how the word would have been written. Once again, I'm not, I'm not making an idiot of myself, right? So this is how, this word could have been pity, it could have been compassion, it could have been empathy. Depending on what translation you read from, it could be one of those three words. That's the word. Now bring up the second word. This is the root word of the first. This word refers to the bowels of somebody, the intestines of somebody. The insides of somebody, okay? So the first word, we, 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 it would have been written, first translated, that would have been just compassion, empathy, pity, okay? But the root of that word is talking about the bowels and the intestines, the inside. What I think is happening is Jesus is using language to paint a picture. That the Samaritan had compassion, had empathy, had pity that came from somewhere deep inside of him. It's almost like he wants people to see the Samaritan could not walk by and not do anything because from a deep place inside, his heart, his gut, what, what makes him up was moved by compassion and he couldn't be like the Levite or the priest. He couldn't be like the religious person and just walk by. He couldn't do it. So what the man does is he meets him where he is. He bandages him. He nurtures him. And then he takes him to a place where he can be taken care of. And he supplies the needs of that person. Because he was moved from the inside, from a deeper place where compassion and empathy comes from. He's willing to sacrifice. Because he was moved from a deeper place, not a superficial place, from a deeper place, he was moved to do something. He sacrificed his time. He sacrificed his money. He sacrificed who he was as a person. He just gave it away. He did what was needed for the person that was hurting that needed him. And then Jesus 
does something so strategic, so intentional. He flips the conversation on the teacher. Verse 36, it says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Do you remember what the original question was? What was the original question? Who is my neighbor? Jesus flips the story in this moment, verse 36. He changes the direction of the conversation. And he says, the right question is not who is my neighbor. The right question is who will be the neighbor. It moves from what the man was asking to what Jesus wanted them to see. In this moment, Jesus changes the storyline from who do I have to care for to how are you going to be the neighbor you're supposed to be. Jesus flips it. You ask a question, but I'm going to give you a more important question. How do you love someone the way you love yourself? The teacher wanted to know who he had to help and who he didn't have to help. And Jesus reshapes this. He says, stop thinking about who you have to help and ask yourself what kind of neighbor you're going to be for others. Um, this weekend and on Monday, we're going to be celebrating and honoring uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And one of the quotes that I love from his, that's the most, really simple. He says, life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others? Life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others? See, I think Jesus wants to change the direction of how we live our life. Jesus wants to reverse the river in our mindset from what are the implications on my life if I decide to help? To what are the implications on others if I don't? What are the implications on me if I help? What's it going to take from me? What's it going to cost me? What is the calling from me? What will I have to sacrifice? Versus, but what's going to happen to the other person if I don't? It's changing from what happens to me if I do to what happens to the other person if I don't. Jesus is making it clear to this teacher of the law, this very religious person, your wrong question exposes you have a wrong perspective on how you live life. Now that's the teacher of the law. That's the story from Luke. But what if we replaced ourself and put our, uh, the teacher of the law and put ourself in this story? What if we replaced ourself with the religious people that walked from Jer Jerusalem to Jericho and put ourselves in that position? How are we operating in life right now? I asked the question at the beginning of this message. 
Is there any chance that there are opportunities in our life right now that we are supposed to jump into people's lives that could potentially change their life, but for whatever reason, we just aren't doing what we know we should do? Is there a chance that we have fallen into a survival mindset? And because of that, our first response is, how do I survive? Versus, how do I live as the neighbor that Jesus has called me to live as? Is there any chance we've fallen into, how do I survive? Versus, how do I be the neighbor that Jesus shows me I need to be? This can be a difficult life question. And this is why I want to call it out today. Because life has been difficult, there's a chance you've been sucked into a survival mindset. And it wasn't just a short-term thing, it's become a new lifestyle. And how do we push back against that? The question I want you to wrestle with, what is holding us back from being the neighbor that Jesus has called me to be? What holds us back? One, I think it's our personal and spiritual health. Okay, this is what I mean. If you were here last week, I talked about in the beginning, Jesus created. And in the beginning, Jesus created for us to be in two very important relationships. And these relationships would set the course for the rest of our lives. These relationships are a passionate and healthy relationship with God and and a healthy and engaging relationship with other people. We need both of these things. And when we are not healthy in these relationships, we don't have to give now to people around us. When you are not personally and spiritually healthy, how can you give yourself away? Maybe the thing that's holding you back is what we talked about last week, that we have found distance with God and distance with others, and we are not doing great. So maybe that's why we're survival mode. Maybe that's why we don't look for opportunities. Maybe we just don't have anything left to give. But maybe it's not that. Maybe it's holding us back is our pace of life. Maybe our pace of life is so fast that we can't even see, we can't even process what's going on around us because we have left no margin to do what Jesus has called us to do. Once again, I don't know the reason the religious people walk by. All I know is they did. But what if they're moving so fast they've got their mind on what they need to do and so they're fixated on just their plans and they don't see the need that's right in front of them, their pace of life. Is there something we've got to cut out in our life because our pace is too fast? We are pushing too hard. And it's celebrated in our culture to always be busy, but the reality is, is Jesus, I think, wants us to have margin to say, who are we supposed to help? There's people around us all the time. But maybe it's not that. Maybe for you, what holds us back is our heart for people. Unfortunately, I have seen more and more a callousness towards other people than what I used to see. For whatever reason, we've almost become like 
we don't want to jump into people's mess because our heart can't, in a compassionate, empathetic way, connect with their story. It's almost like some people, their heart feelings are turned off because maybe life has gotten so chaotic, you don't have time to feel. Maybe our feelings for other people just aren't what God has created us to feel for them. Our heart has gotten hard. What happened to those religious leaders that walked by that their heart, the insides of them were not moved to this person that was almost dead? What happened to them that their heart did not connect with this? their heart become hard and calloused and distant? Is this what's holding us back from being the neighbor that Jesus called us to, to be? Or maybe it's the fourth reason. What holds us back is our trust in God or lack thereof. You know when we get going in life and we want to accomplish in life, we have tasks in front of us. All we can see is what we have to accomplish. All we can see is what we're trying to get done. The ladder we're trying to climb or we're just trying to stay ahead enough, we, we don't feel like we have enough. And, and, and what happens is, is we don't give because, well, what if I don't have? And I wonder, have we forgotten to trust that if God has provided for us once, do you not believe he'll provide again as we give away? Isn't the story of all scripture that God provides and our job is to be a blessing to other people? Isn't the story of what we see being a follower of Jesus, being a neighbor, is yeah, God's given us everything, and we'll have that conversation as we move on and reverse the river, but God is giving us, given us everything. Shouldn't we be living with open hands and just giving away, trusting if he gave it once, he can give it again? But when we don't trust God, that he can provide, what do we do? We hold on. Our time is our time. We don't have enough of what it's going to take, and so we stop being the neighbor because I'm going to run out if I give away, and then what happens to me? And our trust of God sometimes gets broken down and we forget. God, I already believe you provided for me once. Why don't I think you can do it again? See, the teacher of the law asked this question. Jesus gives the answer. And he gives a simple instruction. Go and do likewise. This is a simple instruction. Now go do it. You ask the question, here is the answer, now go live like this. As followers of Jesus, this is how we're called to live. The question is, what are we going to do? Are we going to be the neighbor or are we not? Are we going to be the religious people who walked by? Are we going to be the teacher of the law who says, who do I have to help and who do I not have to help? Are we going to be the teacher of the law that says, um, can you give me instructions of who I have to love and who I don't have to love? Or are we going to make the choice to, if there's a need in front of me, God, and you bring my mind to it, I will be that neighbor. We're talking about reversing the river.
And it's not, I know every Sunday I can't speak to everybody because God is moving in a different way. But what if God is speaking to you? You're in this room, you're online. What if God is speaking to you saying, you've gotten into survival mode and you are not available to, for me to use as a neighbor the way Jesus has called you to? Yeah, yeah, you believe in Jesus, you've given your life to Jesus, but are you walking with Jesus the way he's called us to walk? Not who is my neighbor, who is going to be the neighbor. That is the question. And the choice is ours. And we get to make that choice every single day in big chaotic events and in the small places where you see someone just needs me today so heavenly father will you move in our lives in a deep place God, if there's anybody here today in this survival mode, may you remind them that we can trust you. We don't need to live in survival because we've got you. God, you've already provided everything we've ever had, and you can provide again. So we trust you today, God, and I think you're calling us to be available to you, to be the neighbor that you've called us to be. So help us to be those people. Help us to be that church. Help us to be part of the, this revolution in this world, God, where you're reversing the river in our mindset from, from asking, who do I help? To just saying, God, whoever you put in front of me, that's the answer. And we look for opportunities to be the neighbor. So God, I pray you'd move our hearts. You'd do something deep inside. And that we could say from somewhere deep, God, whatever you want me to do, I will be that neighbor. That's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.